Father, what beautiful truth, what life-changing, what life-giving truth that is. Lord, I pray we'd be humbled in your presence right now. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. That one day, when you come back for your kingdom, you come back for your church, we will stand face to face. And we will know in that moment what we've been getting just a glimpse of all these years in our lives here on earth, that you are worth it all. You are worth it. No greater prize, no greater pursuit, no greater satisfaction than Jesus Christ himself. It's awesome. Thank you that you have given us that inheritance. You are our inheritance, God. And I pray right now we would cast our anxieties on you because you care for us. I pray right now there would be nothing hindering our worship. I pray right now, God, there would be nothing distracting us as we come under the eternal word of God and its authority over our lives. Lord, give us teachability right now to come under it. And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, convict and rebuke and refresh and encourage and build up as you see fit in the hearts of every single person here, including myself, God, and corporately in us as a church. God, unify our church, we pray, and get all the glory because you're the only one who's worthy of it. Oh, praise the name. Praise the name of the Lord our God. In the name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. Church, you may be seated. You may be seated. Well, church, today we continue on in our fifth message in our series through the book of 1 John, verse by verse through 1 John. It's been an incredible series so far. And the title of the series is Walking in the Light. Walking in the Light. And today we're looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. And you're going to need to have a Bible with you today, all right? And so if you do not have one, please put up your hand and our ushers are coming up right now to put one in your hand, okay? Really important. We have a copy of God's Word in front of us, all right? And if you do not have one at home, please keep that and take it as a gift from us so that you can continue to study God's word on your own. 1 John 2, verse 7 to 11. And as you turn there, I have a a question for you that sets the tone for the rest of this message, and it is this. Church, what is the single biggest distinction of a true follower of Jesus Christ? What is the single biggest mark of distinction in the life of a true follower of Jesus Christ? Think about that. Because it impacts, I, I will say this, it impacts literally every single one of us in this room. You can't avoid it. And so what is it? You know, some may say this. Here, I was thinking of some things to help us as we process that. Uh, Maybe someone would think, well, the true mark of a follower of Jesus Christ, the biggest mark of distinction is how much you read your Bible or how much you pray or how much you attend church or how they dress or whether the person goes to Swiss Chalet after church or not. 
What is that called? Church's chicken? Is that what they call it? Wow, wow, wow. All right, St. Hubert should get in on that. All right, so here's the thing though. But how about this? How about this? Take all those things and think of it this way. How about this? They will know, finish the sentence, they will know we are Christians by our, say it again, by our, they will know we are Christians by our love. And you say, where'd that come from? I've heard that in a song once. Yeah, we're not taking that from a song. We're taking that from God's word. That's our authority, amen? John 13, 35, you'll see it. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You are genuine Christians, true followers of me. If you, everyone say it together, love one another. If you love one another. Make no mistake, loved ones, the call to Christ is the call to love. The call of Christ is the call to love. That is the mark of distinction in the life of his people. See, all of Jesus' teaching centered on this one command, the command to love. Matthew 22, the great commandment, verses 37 to 39. Jesus said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then what? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's the common link there? Love. He says, by this, this fulfills these two commands. All of the law, all of my commands, all of what the prophets have told you depend on. But we have a problem. We have a problem. We live in a culture that has a very deceived perception on what love actually is. Would you agree with me? We live in a culture that has a very deceived perception of what love actually is. Is We are constantly bombarded with distorted ideas and misconceptions of what love looks like. And in reality, loved ones, here it is. These resemble very little of the real thing. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's just a few examples. Selfishness has replaced sacrifice. How often do we say, I love you when a person does something nice for me? It's not actually, I love you. It's like, I love how you make me feel right now. I love what you're doing for me right now. Selfishness has replaced sacrifice. How about this? Pride has replaced humility. I will love you, spouses, you ever get this? I will love you if I feel like you deserve it. Then I'll show my love for you. But until you do what I want you to do, how I want you to do it, I'm not going to show it. I will withhold it. Pride has replaced humility. How about this? Greed has replaced generosity. We have a me before you mentality instead of you before me. And as the church, notice this, this is linked. As the church has allowed the culture to come in and determine its direction, doctrine, values, and beliefs, the high calling of sacrificial love that is to be between followers of Jesus Christ is being watered down, minimized, removed, and the church and the people it's called to pursue are suffering greatly for it. As the culture comes in and starts to dictate the values, the level, it can't go anywhere else. If that's what you're riding on, you're going to follow the culture. 
And so here, John continues in his letter to the churches in Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, by carrying on the theme of how the true Christian will obey God's commands, like we looked at verses 3 to 6 last week, and he now focuses specifically on one command, the command to love others, especially believers in Christ. Now, yes, we are called to love all people, But John's specific focus in here in writing to the church is how the church is called to love each other, okay? That's the focus. That's why you got to read in context, okay? You have to read the Bible in context. Little Discipleship 101 there, all right? He's focusing on the church right here. And here he emphasizes two critical truths that we must embrace if we are to call ourselves genuine followers of Christ and fulfill what Christ's command to love others means for us in our individual lives and in the church, All right, now to honor God's word and its authority, let's stand as we read it together. 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. The new commandment. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Sobering words from the Apostle John by the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. You may have a seat. So Christ commands me to love. Point one is this. I must embrace the source of love, Christ in me. I must embrace the source of love, that is, Christ in me. Look at verse seven. Beloved, John says, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard or you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. See, that term beloved he starts out with. See, again, he's going back to this affectionate tone. The word beloved there means those loved by God or fellow Christians that John is writing to and loves very much. The pastoral heart coming out again. And John says he's not writing to them anything new, but he's reminding them. We all need to be reminded. Amen? Nothing's changed. Nothing new under the sun. He's reminding them of the old or ancient truths of God, the old commandments that the followers of Christ had heard since the time they had first heard the gospel preached to them and had received it and surrendered their lives to Christ. The truths of the gospel had not changed. John was being accused by those attacking him of adding on more stipulations, adding on more uh, commands to obey. He's like, it hasn't changed, loved ones. I'm preaching the same thing that you've heard all along. I'm not adding anything to this, Okay. And this was in contrast to the false teachers or the Gnostics, who he's writing against here, who were adding or neglecting certain truths of Scripture to suit their own desires and not walk in obedience. Now recall this, that word commandment there. See in verse 7, Behold, I'm writing to you no new commandment. The word commandment in the Greek means the charge or law of God that all those who seek to follow him must obey. If you're a remember we talked about this last week? Verses 3 to 6. A true follower of Christ will obey the commands of Christ in the power of Christ. Okay? Increasingly, as the Holy Spirit 
changes us more to be like Christ. And so specifically here, John is speaking of the commandment to believe in Christ alone for salvation. And then as a result of that, living the life that seeks to honor or love him and others by being obedient to his word. This wasn't a new theme. This is another reason. So yes, it was new in Jesus Christ when he came incarnate. We'll look at that in a second. But this isn't a new theme that John is preaching here. Leviticus 19.18. We see the command to love. He says, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6.5, known in Hebrew as the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Same thing, same theme, nothing new. He's reminding them. And so look at verse 8. It goes on and says this. At the same time, it is a new commandment. Oh, dear. That I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Okay, incredible truth right there. Let's look at it. John states that the commandment to love God and love others in our lives, although it's an old commandment, it hasn't changed. It's not new. You heard it right from the start, the first time the gospel was preached. It's also a new commandment. And all God's people said, huh? Huh? All right? It's not new, it's new. Which is it? The answer, loved ones, is both. Both. Look at what Jesus says in John 13, 34. He says, a new commandment, Jesus says, I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We're commanded to love. A true, and here's the point. Loved ones, a true Christian will never see loving others before themselves as an option. Just let that hang. Think about the magnitude of what Jesus Christ just said there. The true Christian, the genuine follower of Christ, those who claim the name and believe it and have been redeemed by his blood, never see loving others before themselves and loving God before themselves as an option. Sobering word, no? The call of Christ is the call to love. And here he shows us why this is a new commandment in three ways. I love how commentator Danny Aiken put this. Just beautiful. And so I've summarized it for us. How is this a new commandment? If the gospel's been preached all along, if this is in the Old Testament all the way through, how is it a new commandment? In three ways. Here we go. Three ways he shows this is a new commandment. Number one, it's in Christ now. It's in Christ, verse 8a. Look what he says. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. Who's the him? Jesus. Jesus. It's true in him. It wasn't until, know this, it wasn't until the incarnation of Christ where he became fully God, or he was fully God and became fully man and came to earth that the world had ever been given a tangible, concrete expression of this light, of this love manifested as flesh and as Christ ushered in a new way of living out the command to love. It was love that the world had never tangibly known at that point. They had never seen it in the flesh. And Jesus Christ became a man. Tangible love. There, there's the new commandment. And, and Christ, Christ, when he came, a lot of people say, well, Jesus Christ came. We don't, full, you know, we don't have to worry about the old law anymore. Listen, Christ didn't come, he said, to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so what happens by him coming as fully man, yet fully God, he raised the standard of love that his people are to follow him with in the church. 
He raised the standard. He didn't lower it. He didn't take out the Old Testament law. He raised the standard of it. Incredible. So the first way it's new is it came in Christ. Second way it's new. See there? What's next? In us. See what it says? At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, Jesus Christ, and in you, followers of Christ, those who are genuine believers of Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sin and confessed him alone as their Lord and Savior and now live by his command to love from his power at work in them. Incredible. And as such, it is now continually shown. This is why it's new. It's continually shown in new ways through our lives. As we continue by the power of the Holy Spirit to be made more into the image of Christ, his love for others is shown in new ways through us as we grow to be more like him. Incredible. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit. It's a mission of the Holy Spirit. In Christ. In us, it's new. And third way, you should catch that, verse eight, which is true in him, Christ, in you, us, because the darkness is passing away and the true light's already shining. How else is this a new commandment? Seen in the world. In the world. The, world, the, the word darkness there in the Greek, you know what that means? Where it says the darkness is passing away? It means spiritual darkness. It's symbolizing the realm which sinful behavior flourishes, also known as our culture today. The sinful realm, the dark realm where sinful behavior flourishes. And John states that because of Jesus Christ coming into the world as the true light of the world, he even said that, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. And now living in all those who are his true followers, the darkness, love this, love this, be encouraged this morning, loved ones, the darkness of this world is departing as Christ's kingdom or the light, the divine truth, is advancing through the proclamation of the gospel in and through the lives of believers. Amen? Awesome. Awesome truth, life-changing, culture-changing truth. There is no greater truth that the light has invaded the darkness and continues to advance against it. No greater truth than that right there. The true light is already shining and will continue to advance until the day Jesus Christ comes back and shines it in its fullness. Amen? You excited for that day, church? I'm pretty fired up for that day. How about you? Yeah, love that. Love that. Praise the Lord. See, here's the thing. And look, look around us today. You say, what, really? Like, is this even true? What are you talking about? Like, I look around today, and this world seems to be getting darker and seems to be getting worse. What are you talking about, the lights advancing? There's more churches closing their doors now, what is it, like 5,000 a year or something like that in North America every year? 5,000, boom. Church is closing. What do you mean? What do you mean that the light is advancing against the darkness? Things just seem to be getting darker. And, I, and when you're tempted, I know, I know, the enemy wants to do this. He wants to tempt you to doubt. He wants to tempt you to despair, to say, what's the point? What's the point of striving in the power of the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus Christ, to see his light manifested in me? What is the whole point when things just seem to be getting worse? Hey, know this, know this. Don't take my word for it. Let's take his. What does it say? What does it say? The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know what that means? It doesn't matter what you perceive. We go by what God says. 
We go by what God says, and God says that the light is advancing and the darkness is passing away. Go back to what God says. He's the authority. He knows what's going on. Okay, and so let's not, let's not restrict ourselves to your perception of God advancing his kingdom by only what you can see in your own little pocket. Okay, faith is the assurance, Hebrews 11.1, 1, of what we hope for and the conviction of things not seen. And listen, God, we see in this moment right here, this little pocket, God is doing a million and a half things every second, probably more, to advance his kingdom around this world. So don't just look at one area and be like, oh, God's not moving. Yes, he is. Why? Because he says he is. The darkness is passing away. And you know what the awesome thing about this truth is? Hit me. I used to be a science teacher. I love doing this experiment with my kids in high school. Check this out. You'll see a picture on the screen. And so here it is. Amazing. Amazing picture right there. What does that mean? You know the property of light is this. Darkness and light cannot occupy the same space. It's impossible. Only one has to move. And when the light shines, the darkness always has to move. They cannot occupy the same space. It's gone. Light advances. You can learn a lot from a candle. Think of that next time you light one. The darkness always has to move. See, here's the reality Satan knows his time is short, it is very short. He knows his time is short. And because the light of the world came through Jesus Christ, darkness has been given the death blow. Game over. You're passing away. The kingdom is advancing. Game on. Death blow. Can't touch it. And God says this. I love it. Love it. God says this. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew 16, 18. says this. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You think it gets darker? There's only one that's advancing. That's the light. You're tempted to doubt? Go back to God's word. The light is advancing. The darkness is passing away. Look at this picture. Okay, I'm going to challenge you. Maybe I'll put it on our, our church Facebook page so you can all have it. I want to challenge you to take a picture of that right now and put it on your desktop, put it on your phone, and every time you queue up your computer, I want you to look at it and remember this truth. The darkness is passing away. How do we know that right here? Well, here, I'll give you some evidence. Here's an illustration for that. Look around you right now. Just look around you. You know what this symbolizes right here? And all those 40 kids and harvest kids right now getting the gospel. You know what that symbolizes? that this church is literally, look at that picture. This church is literally an outpost of light, of truth, of love, and of God's power for the kingdom of heaven against the darkness. Amen. Yes, amen indeed.
against the kingdom of darkness. It represents this church right here, Harvest Bible Chapel, Ottawa, starting with six people, represents the truth of the light already shining being fulfilled in one of, you get this, one of the darkest cities in North America. Ottawa, the most unreached English-speaking city in North America, 2% evangelical Christian, one of the darkest cities, and the light is advancing, and darkness can't touch it. See, let's get out of our own boxes and see the picture, see God's perspective on this. One year ago, hey, loved ones, it hit me this week, I started so humbled by this. One year ago, this church didn't exist. We're just a small little core group. I think we had just started meeting in this building. We had like 10 people coming on a Sunday. It didn't exist. It's no wonder then, think about this, that the enemy works to seek, kill, just destroy, deceive, and divide the church from embracing the source of love, Jesus Christ himself, and to live it out in his power. So let me ask you a question. Did you see that picture? I ask you this. Is the, is the light... Is the love, is this the light, is this the love that lives in you? Is this the love that lives in you? Do you have the source? Have you embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Honestly, loved ones, not to, not to make this dramatic or anything, but I will say this, this is the most important question of your life. That day is coming soon when Christ comes back and at that moment it's too late to answer it. Do you have the source? Have you embraced the source of love, of light that came for you because he loves you? And if you have, believers, believers, church, if you have, are you embracing Christ daily by asking him to fill you with his love for him and others? Are you asking, are you getting before the Lord and saying, God, I can't manufacture this on my own. I don't love people. I will not love people like I should. I will not love you like you desire. I need you. Fill me with it. Even those people that are hard to love, fill me with it. My flesh won't take me there. Guaranteed. Are you doing that? Because for the true follower of Christ, I will say this. This is not an option. They will know we are Christians by our love for the Lord and for one another. We can't pick and choose who we're going to love and who we're not going to. If we're doing that, we really got to ask, am I in Jesus Christ? Just saying, in love, ask the question. Because the truth is this. The truth is this. It's impossible to truly love another person without Jesus Christ in us. Do you see that? It is absolutely impossible to truly love another person without Jesus Christ in us. That's a sobering reality. That's why none of these other forms of love work. Because you don't have the source. And you say, well, how do you know this? Okay, don't, good question. Don't take my word for it. Let's take his. 1 John 4.8. 1 John 4.8, you see it on the screen. Anyone that does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. He's got love perfected. He is love. He is the very source of love because he is love. 
And if we don't know him in a personal relation, we cannot truly love. It's impossible. See, without Christ in us, the only, here, because here's the other option, loved ones. Let's just work this to its logical end. You say, well, really, what's Jesus talking about? That's kind of harsh what he's saying there. Listen, let's just work it out to its logical end. If we're not relying on the true source of love, the perfect source of love, the one who is love, the, what's the other source we have to rely on? What do you have? Yourself, your flesh. And I'll tell you something. Let's just, spoiler alert, right here, loved ones. That will never work. It can't work. Because without, here's why, without Christ in our lives, loved ones, our default reaction, you ever notice this? What's our default reaction? It's always to love ourselves first. That's our default. That's our flesh. Do you ever see this in yourself? I was so, this burdened by this in my own life this week. How much I just want to love myself. That's my default without Jesus Christ. Without his power in me. And notice something. You can search. Okay, check it this week. Go ahead. Take your devotional times to check. I just challenge you with this. The Bible never commands us to love ourselves more. Some people take the great commandment and say, hey, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. So therefore, if I love myself more, I can love them more. Uh, Wrong. The Bible assumes we already love ourselves way too much. That's why it never commands us to love ourselves more. It's always commanding us to love God and love others. Because our default is the opposite. And our flesh does a great job of doing that. Hey, 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 listen. Write this down. Pride is the killer of genuine love for God and others. Pride is the killer of genuine love for God and others. Every time. We let it manifest itself. Pride is the killer. Because this hit this morning. The truth is, uh, you cannot say you love God more while at the same time loving yourself more. It's impossible. You cannot say you love God more. You're growing in love for God if you're growing in love with yourself. You can't do it. It doesn't work. God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. The humble that says, you before me. And when you embrace Christ, and as you grow in your love for him, you will grow in your love for others. As you grow in your love for Christ, you will grow in your love for others, guaranteed. That's his command. And his spirit is dedicated to growing that in us. The more we love God, the more our love of self is crushed. The more we grow in our love for God, the less we grow in our love for ourself. Because we see ourselves truly for who we are before him. Christ commands me to love. I must embrace the source of love, Christ in me. And from that, we see very quickly that Christ commands me to love. I must walk in the power of love, Christ through me. Christ through me. Look at verses 9 to 11. 
Well, let's look at 9 and 11 first. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, John goes on here to give the fourth test of a genuine believer. We looked at three prior to this and now he hits us with the fourth and it is this their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, this focus is on specifically in the church right now. He uses the strongest possible contrast, light and darkness, to emphasize this as well. He states that those who claim to be followers of Christ or claim to be, as he says here, in the light, a personal relationship with Christ, but hate their fellow believers, are walking in the darkness and are blinded by it. See that? Spiritual blindness from hearts that are deceived. This is the impact of sin. Unrepentant sin in our lives. It blinds us. It hardens our hearts to the Lord. False teachers were doing this in John's day. And it's what we see today. So many people will talk a good talk, but their walk doesn't match it. Their practice does not match their proclamation. Sure, I'm a, remember that stat last week? Wasn't that a sobering stat last week? About 67.3% of people in Canada identify themselves as Christians. 24 million people, when you do the math. How different would our nation look if those who genuinely claimed to follow Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit proclaimed him with their walk? Right? But this is the impact of sin, deception of the heart. And reminder here, reminder here. John isn't speaking of here perfectly, okay, perfectly loving everyone all the time, okay? And if we fail one time, we aren't a true follower of Christ. Has anyone here, just a little straw poll, has anyone here been unloving to anyone before? Yeah, right here, we're in church. You can't lie, we're in church. Yes, that's right, right here, right here. How many times this week? Don't ask my wife. How many times? Right? It doesn't mean, John's not saying you have to live perfectly or you're not a true follower of Christ. No, it's not what he's saying. Because he says, the walk, look at verse 11, where he says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks. The Greek word for walks there is ongoing, habitual hatred towards others. One that continually rejects God's truth and is walking in pride through unrepentant sin. A continual rejection of God's truth. And when God illuminates that through his word, when a loving brother or, or follower of Christ comes alongside them and says, hey, I see this going on in your life. We need to get this right with the Lord. Let me walk with you and pray. Just reject, reject, reject. I will not come under that. Even maybe right now when you're sitting there coming under God's word and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. What happened? Loved ones, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Walking in unrepented sin because this is what it leads to. In verse 9, go back to verse 9 for a moment. Whoever says he's in the light and hates. That's a strong word, eh? That's a strong word. Hey, did you say, well, I don't hate anybody. Okay, well, let's get a... We have to let good theology inform practice. Let's get an idea of what God says hatred is and then we'll be able to have a good evaluation. What does he say it is? That word hates there, I was so sobered by this this week, means this, to love less. To esteem less than another person. 
to love less or to esteem less than another person. And then increasingly to detest someone and then eventually to persecute someone. That's where it leads. You see the corruption of sin, of what happens in a hardened heart? It literally means, to ele- that word hatred right there literally means to elevate one's value over another. To elevate one's value over another. To show partiality towards one person in the body of Christ over another. If you are, sobered, if you are unwilling to help others in need, you love yourself more than them and in God's eyes, you actually hate them. If you see a need in front of you and you are unwilling to meet it, you are hating that person. Just let that hang there for a moment. The intensity of this, the severity of this, and God makes it clear that if you are continually doing this without repentance, here's the reality, loved ones, you are walking in the darkness and are not a true follower of Christ. You say, well, wait a second, how do we know that? Here's how. Because the one who is a genuine believer will always take the initiative to love. Christ took the initiative to love. And we can love. Why? Because he first loved us. How many needs? Like I just, I was sitting there this morning reviewing the message, just writing these, adding in some notes here. Like how many needs, love? And just think. And hey, if you're feeling conviction of the spirit right now, just stay under it. Stay under it. Let him do his work. Don't reject it. Just let him do his work. There's freedom there. There's healing there. There's joy. But how many needs, whether in this church, on the street, are all around us that we see and we are just unwilling to meet because we love ourselves too much to get past our own schedules, to get past our own priorities, the way I want to do things, when I want to do things. How many loved ones? Now, clarification. You cannot possibly meet every need around you. You can't possibly meet every single need. But the question is, what need has God put in front of you right now that you can meet for your brother or sister? What is the need? There's 40 kids right down the hallway that would love a Harvest Kids teacher and would love to have someone who loves the Lord just come and be a faithful presence in their lives. You're like, I don't know how to do that. Listen, the Holy Spirit does. 90% of being faithful show up. There are people who walk in this church and who will, by God's grace, continue to walk in this church that need to be greeted with a handshake and a smile and the love of Jesus Christ. You have no idea how many times I have heard that from people on my follow-up calls from first-time visitors, they say, I've never felt so loved coming into church. 
I said, why? Because someone shook my hand and made eye contact and remembered my name. There's a whole world out there that is longing for that. The needs are right in front of us. Look at the needs. Take that beyond the church. Take it to your neighborhoods. Take it to your, your, the people on the street, your coworkers. What needs has God put right in front of you that you can say, I can do that by the power of the Spirit. I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I'm here. I'm just willing. I'm just willing to meet it. You see, no wonder they will know we are Christians by our love because that, this call right here is a call to radical love. This is called, you say, but that's so uncommon. That's why the church is to be an uncommon community. This is how they know we are Christians. This is the mark of distinction. When people, I get on the phone with people in the week, they say, you called? I write a note to them. They're like, you didn't send an email? You wrote a letter? What is this? It doesn't take much, loved ones. They will know we are Christians by our love. And you'll see it on the screen. This quote hit me this week. Pride is the breeding ground for our inability to love. Pride is the breeding ground for our inability to love. It distorts our reality and blinds us, as John says here, to the truth of where we're really at with the Lord. And we see a clear picture of the impact of this in verse 11. Look at the impact. It says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You know what the picture John's using there is? One commentator said, it's so true. He's like, imagine yourself, you are a blind man in a dark room trying to find your way around. And you have no idea where you're going. That's what happens with sin. That's what it does in our hearts when we are unwilling. We see a need. We can meet the need by the power of God. And we turn the other way. This is what happens. And notice this, notice this. They don't know where they're going. They can't find lasting satisfaction in anything they pursue. How many things in this world are they trying to find satisfaction in that's not going to satisfy? Why do you think pornography is so rampant in our world today? Trying to find satisfaction in things that can't satisfy. And so they're blind, they're spiritually blind. They're going from the next thing to the next car, to the next meal, to the next spouse, to the next child, to the next, trying to find this. They're spiritually blind. Their hearts are hardened to the message of the gospel and their need for salvation. And they are indifferent to the sin in their lives and the needs of others. Make no mistake. The impact of lovelessness, loved ones, is as serious as it gets. It's as serious as it gets. Now look what he says in verse 10. John says this, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. See the word loves there? The Greek is this, agape. Remember we talked about it last week? Agape, which means to love or esteem others as God does. See, it's the direct opposite of hatred. To love less or to esteem someone less, agape love loves or esteems others as God sees them. As God sees them. 
It's the opposite of hate. John says that those who love their brothers and sisters in the Lord this way, by the power of Christ that is at work in them, they show genuine evidence that they are abiding in the light of Christ and are his followers who walk in intimate fellowship with him. That's what the word abide means. Intimate, ongoing communion or fellowship with Christ. More of Christ's life living through you as you draw near to him. That's abiding. And see the word stumbling there at the end of verse 10. He says, uh, the light and in him, there is no cause for stumbling. What's the stumbling? I think you're getting the picture here of where John's going. The cause for stumbling is, the Greek is a snare or something that causes to harm a person. Do you know what that is? Sin. Sin's only focus is to hurt you and to harm you, and to package it all real nice and sugarcoat it to say, no, 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 I won't hurt you until you take a bite. A snare. The picture is there of a hunter's trap around an animal with the teeth, right? And it grabs a hold, and the more the animal tries to struggle, eventually it takes its limb off. and leads to its death. That's the sin. That's the impact of it. The result of abiding with Christ, though, of having his life lived through you, is that there is no cause for stumbling, whether for themselves, whether for yourself, or you leading others into a snare or sin, because the believer is walking in Christ's power, repents quickly of that sin, and loves others with the love that Christ has for them. So there's no cause for stumbling when that happens. Yes, you're going to sin, but when you do, as a genuine follower of Christ, you are quick to repent of that when it is revealed. Revelation always leads you to responsibility. And you're quick to repent of that. You're not letting it harden your heart and becoming blinder and darkened by the deception of sin. See, you'll see this here on the screen. Abiding with Christ always leads to loving through Christ. Abiding with Christ will always, it can't go anywhere else. He doesn't go towards the darkness. It only increases and goes towards the light. Abiding with Christ always leads to loving through Christ. I love how 1 John 3.18 says this. You'll see it up there. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but deed and the truth. Action. Don't just say, you cannot say that you love someone without an, with an unwillingness to love them in action. You can't. And Christ's love for others in us always compels us to move beyond talking about loving others to actually living it out. Like, this has become, you know that, you know that language in the church called, like, Christianese? You ever heard that? One of the classic sayings, you've probably heard it, is, love your brother. Love your brother. Okay, there are genuine people who genuinely love that person they're saying that to, but how often do we say, love your brother, and never follow it up with any tangible act of love by the power of Christ in us on his behalf for them. It becomes so easy because sin deceives us so easily. Let's love with deeds. John MacArthur puts it this way. To walk in the light is to walk in love. Action. To walk in the light is to walk in love. For God, for others. All right. Last question for the day. Here it is. What is the cause of stumbling in your life right now? That's showing a lack of love for the Lord, for others that you know you need to get right, maybe even right now, as the Holy Spirit is revealing this. 
What is the cause of stumbling for you? What is it? Here's some things that came to mind, specifically relating to the church. Unresolved conflict in relationship with a brother or sister. If tension in that relationship, let's take it to the Lord. The Lord blesses unity. We're going to get to that in a sec. What is it? That's a cause of stumbling. How about this? Hanging on to unforgiveness. You know what? I uh, heard James McDonald say once, uh, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. What is it for you? What's the cause of stumbling? Maybe this. Um, uh, showing partiality towards people for what you will or won't do for them. Hatred. When we see it through God's eyes, we see it for what it is. How about this? Caring more about having your own needs met more than serving the needs of your brothers or sisters in the needs of the church. But this, what are the needs right in front of you right now that you're unwilling to meet? And I gotta tell you, by the grace of God, I see in this church so many of us lovingly caring for one another. I look at, I'm gonna put you on the spot. I look at Odas and Belize and I, always think back to that time when they had baby Asher and just to see our community come around them in, in the birth of their son and there's others with sickness and there's needs all over the place. God help us to not be a church that turns the other way and is spiritually blind, even being packaged really pretty. God help us. I'm so thankful these people. Here it is. Spurgeon said it this way. You do not love the Lord at all unless you love the souls of others. Boom. You can't separate the two. Love always moves us to action in loving our brothers and sisters. It is never passive. Let's not pay each other lip service. Love ya. Okay. Let's walk that out by the power of the Spirit. So how do we do this? End with this. Five ways we're called to love other believers. And by the way, this is a, I did a quick study on the one another's throughout scripture. And there's about 56 of them. And so uh, just buckle in. We're going to go through all 56 right now. Just kidding. Just kidding. 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 Here we go. There's 56 around. So, but I encourage you in your quiet times to go through them and see this. And they're all grouped into maybe these five categories. I grouped them all into five categories. It's this, five ways we're called to love one another believers. Here it is, pursue Christ first, abide. Pursue Christ in your own life first, abide. John 15, five, you'll see it on the screen, says this, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot love someone without him, genuinely. Okay, to grow in love with Christ is to grow in love with others. This is the first step. You can't give someone something you don't have. Okay, you can't pour out with someone something you're not being filled up with. All right, and your first step, if you're here and you're like, I haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ as my personal savior, that's your first step. And he fills you with his Holy Spirit at that moment. You receive him. You can't earn that. Come today. Start today abiding with Jesus Christ. The greatest thing the people around you need from you is your personal holiness in Christ. Your family, your friends, your church, that's what they need the most. That's where everything overflows from. 
So pursue Christ first. Five ways we're called to love other believers. Number two, pursue prayer for others. Support. Support them. Pursue prayer for others. Support. Look at James 5.16. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Pray for one another. I love seeing this church filled with prayer. Walked in here today. See people praying all the more. After the service, just turn to your brothers and say, can you pray for me? You don't have to go on your whole story. Just, can you pray for me? I need it right now. Support one another through prayer. It has great power. This is how God unifies our hearts. Number three, five ways we're called to love other believers. Pursue Christ first, abide. Pursue prayer for other support. Number three, pursue service to others in humility. Be humble and serve one another. God before me, you before me. What needs are in front of you right now? If you're wondering, go to the connections desk. You'll see them. They're all over the place. Philippians 2, 3 to 4, you'll see it. It says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. See, that's the key to service right there. Humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Five ways we're called to love other believers. Number four, pursue kindness to others. Grace, give grace. Oh, that we would be a community of grace. Grace doesn't overlook the offense, but grace addresses it in love. Okay? Pursue kindness to others. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. No sinful talk, no negativity. Let's not talk against God's church negatively. We're talking about the bride of Jesus Christ. Right, loved ones? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only as such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Give grace. Let's be a community that gives grace. Build up, not tear down. Lastly is this. Five ways we're called to love other believers. Pursue Christ first, abide. Pursue prayer for others, support. Pursue service to others, humility. Pursue kindness to others, grace. And here it is. Pursue peace with others. Unity. Pursue peace with others. Unity. Look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. Paul says this. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you. There's there's the exhortation. There's the imperative. I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. Here it is. In love. In love. Eager, there it is, there's the urgency, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Romans 12, 18 says, insofar as you are able, live at peace with those around you. John Bloom says this, why is conflict resolution so hard for us? Because we love our pride more than we love one another. That's the reality. We just love our pride more than we love one another. Who needs to hear that word from you today? Who needs that initiative of reconciliation to you today? From you today? What need is right there? Don't wait. Don't wait. Because here's the reality as we close. The true measure of the church is not its seating capacity. The true measure of the church is its capacity to love. That's why we pursue one another and pursue the Lord. 
Christ commands us to love by embracing him as the source of it and walking in his power for it. What is your next step today? Because they will know we are Christians by our love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. God, I have been so sobered by it this week. I pray right now that, Lord, we would be so encouraged that you sent a Savior for us. God, totally unable to love, but yet you sent the one who is love to be our advocate, to be our substitute, that in him, by embracing him, And walking in his power, we can now walk in love towards you and one another. Lord, I pray that so much, that this unifying love, this supporting love, this prayerful love, this serving love, God, that it would be the characteristic of your church. God, that that would be our mark of distinction here. That God, embracing you means embracing one another. And so, God, I pray that you would receive much glory as we sing this last song, the greatest love this world had never known until Jesus Christ, Lord. May it be the anthem of our hearts, not just today, but each day this week and days moving forward as we come together and live as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.